Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well, so you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your host, Ryan J. Pelton with the Prolific Writer Podcast. I am really glad that you're here. And we are going to enjoy episode number 16, Sweet 16, with Robert Cruzy, who is a sci-fi author who's been traditionally published, also been self-published, and is a prolific writer in all the good sense and all the good ways. We have a fascinating com- conversation about being yourself. And I love uh, Robert as I've read his books over the years and really enjoy his humor that he brings into his work and just the unique style that he has. And we, we have a really candid conversation about his path, his journey of how he became a writer. And he had this, this desire to write a novel and said, well, why don't I do it? And heard about this crazy self-publishing thing and Kindle and eBooks and said, I, I think I can write a novel. And he, he took quite a few years to, to write his first novel. Didn't know what he was doing. Didn't really have a path, but he, he was passionate about it and wanted to get it done. And he, and he got it done. And this first book actually kind of put him on the map and got him a traditionally published deal and a uh, really cool story. And, and I, I love Robert's honesty that he just embraces who he is. Uh, he knows there's things he's not good at. He knows that he's not always the most organized person. And even the path of writing just fits him and how he's wired. And, and, and if you go to his website, badnovelist.com, even his website says a lot about who he is. He, he's just very honest. He's very down to earth. And, and I really loved Robert's spirit as we talked uh, together for a while. And, and I think it's important for us, those of you that are listening, those of you that want to be writers, those that are already writing, is learning how to be yourself, uh, learning how to hone your own voice, your own uniqueness, your own path, whether that's traditional, whether that's self-publishing, 
regardless, I don't think that's important. I think what's important is, is the more you can be yourself, the more you can have your own unique voice. I think the more success that you'll have, I, I, I see too many authors trying to mimic other offer authors. I, I see too many authors, uh, trying to be something to think there's some kind of, uh, to, to be an author is to sound a certain way or write a certain way. And, and, and yet I think what makes book writing unique is there really aren't that many new stories in the world, but there's unique voices in the world. And so you can only tell a ghost story so many different ways. You can only write a nonfiction book so many different ways about certain subjects, but it's what makes it unique is your own voice, your own experiences, uh, what you bring into it, your angle, uh, on it. Um, and, and so uh, it's a good reminder, I think, as we talk to Robert, uh, why we need to be ourselves. So I hope you enjoy that. We'll get to that in just a moment. A couple more things coming up. Uh, I really am excited for a couple things at Rockhouse Publishing. Uh, one is I have a uh, book coming out that I wrote back at during NaNoWriMo. It's finally coming out. It's taking a while to get it edited and and all that. Uh, but it is available March 13. So depending on when you're listening to this, March 13, check it out. Uh, that will be tomorrow. Um, and I think if you're listening to us, it might be even the day of. So we'll, we'll see depending on the date. But check it out. It's called The Boardwalk. I've talked about it a little bit. It's a kind of a coming of age mystery story of a college kid trying to find his way in the world, falling in love and some ghosts and other things happen. And uh, you should enjoy this one. And uh, you can check it out on out. Uh, at uh, rockhousepublishing.com or Amazon. Uh, actually, it's everywhere. Uh, this title is, is all the major bookstores and, and things. So you can check that one out called The Boardwalk. And I'm also excited to be uh, – I, I have some nonfiction stuff coming out. I um, don't know the timeline on those. Uh, I'll share those in the future. Um, but I also have an a Antique Assassin book coming out, number three, that will be ready uh, probably in a few weeks. And so check that out. I'll have more information on that. And uh, yeah, just continue to write. Hopefully you're continually writing, getting those words down, whatever your uh, way of doing that is every day, get those words out, whether it's a hundred words, 500 words, a thousand words, two words, 10,000 words, just every day, get those words out, keep honing them, keep crafting them, keep making them better. And, and before long, you'll have books to share and stories to share. And so that's uh, my hope is as you listen to these interviews, you'll be inspired, encouraged, you'll, you'll take away something uh, to apply to your own writing journey and your own writing career and wherever you are in that path. And, uh, and hopefully Robert Cruzy will be another piece of that puzzle. So I look forward to uh, for you hearing this interview. And so why don't I get right to it? And this is uh, Robert Cruzy. Well, it's good to have you, uh, Robert Cruzy, on the line here, and uh, really excited to chat with you today. And um, I, ha I have to admit, um, my first exposure to you was your book, Mercury Falls. And it's kind of funny because I'm, I'm feeling a little nostalgic because uh, I think I, I think I might have gotten it for free on Amazon somehow. It's probably some free deal or something. And this was kind of my first like Kindle and one of my first books literally I read on the Kindle. And, nice. uh, and it's a great book uh, and uh, really loved your writing style, really loved kind of um, – you know your your story and 
And then kind of got reconnected with you not too long ago. Saw some other books. I was like, "Hey, he's still he's still around." So um, wanted to <laughs> yeah. wanted to chat. And uh, obviously, you've been fairly prolific and been writing for a while, and still cranking out the books and the stories. And so uh, it's really good to have you on the show. Thanks. It's good to good to be here. Yeah, that was um, Mercury Falls came out at sort of a sort of a fortuitous time with uh, eBooks when they were, they were like the Kindle was just starting to take off. And I self-published it, and then about six months later, it got picked up by Amazon's uh, new publishing venture. And so then there weren't a lot of uh, uh, a lot of ebooks out, a lot of Kindle books out at that point, and a lot of them were were kind of uh, overpriced. And Amazon kind of snuck in with a lot of uh, these these titles. And Mercury Falls was one of the ones that they really pushed early in the beginning. So I, I kind of uh, I lucked out with uh, kind of with with, with the uh, uh, timing there as far as Amazon putting a lot of uh, promotional effort and money into into pushing Mercury Falls and and uh, several other books that they were publishing at that time and so yeah so that's a lot that's how a lot of people know me because Mercury Falls ended up being kind of a a pretty pretty big book for me yeah it's a, it's a great book too I I, I love uh, the the way you you wrote it and kind of the the genre it's I mean it's a little bit of a mashup I would say of kind of yeah it's it's a little bit of everything mm-hmm. which was kind of intentional because it was I, I you know I it was my first novel and I and, and I really honestly you know I had no idea what I was doing and I just want I just was like trying to be um, I just wanted it to be entertaining mm-hmm. um, but I also wanted to like give myself room to like write pretty much anything if I wanted you know if I wanted to go like the sci-fi route or more philosophical or serious stuff so I threw in like everything in that book so it's just which obviously you know as you as you've read it it's just like it goes on these tangents about you know religion and philosophy and science and then there's just like dumb puns and everything it's just it's just a mashup of everything right. and so it was that was the kind of the intention was just like I'm going to throw everything in this thing and then I can do from this point you know after after if this book works then I can do whatever I want after that so well I you know I love the the title of your website badnovelist.com and Bad. Plus, and, yeah. and I'm going to write whatever I want to write, you know, um, right. and, and I think that's a, um, it's, it's actually a pretty, I think an exciting time for writers at least that we're not, you know, necessarily pigeonholed into one genre or one style or one, you know, trope necessarily, but you, you know, you have some freedom obviously to, to, uh, kind of write what you want or write what you think is funny or, um, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, so let's let's back up a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about your your kind of writing journey. Um, obviously, that was Mercury Falls was kind of your first novel, your first go. Uh, right. But but where did the the writing bug come from? I mean, where where did it where where did you just wake up one day and said, you know, I have to write a novel today? Uh, pretty much. I mean, I just always um, I loved always loved. Um, stories and loved sci-fi i remember my first the story that i tell is that in in second grade there was uh my my uh teacher uh assigned the class to uh write a story and so i wrote it i started writing the story about captain bill and his spaceship um his spaceship was called the the eagle and i thought i thought the like T-H-E-E was like a more formal way <laughs> of saying the. So it's like the eagle. So was, the name of his ship was the eagle, um, which <laughs> just, you know, just sticks with me today that I thought that was a clever idea for a spaceship, the eagle. So uh, And I had Captain Bill flying throughout the solar system, going to Jupiter and stuff and doing all this stuff. Uh, and she thought my, my teacher thought the story was so great that she was like, you know, I, I, it was time to move on to math. 
um, or whatever, and I said, you know, should I put the story away and, and do my math now? And, it's, and my teacher was like, no, no, just keep working on this story. And I was like, this is fantastic. If I can just, if just if just my teacher likes the story enough that I can just like keep working on this. And I think I, I don't know how long I milked that for, as long as I could, because it, to me, you know, writing was just fun. It wasn't, it wasn't any, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't like work at all, you know. So it was just, and and it's always been like that. I've always liked to write stories, and I always wanted to write a novel, and finally. Uh, and did I had a blog for a while that I was writing smaller sort of uh, humorous pieces, and then I had this idea for a novel, um, this, this kind of uh, renegade angel named Mercury um, that was kind of percolating in my mind, and uh, then I ended up uh, writing that and self-publishing it, and then you know that's how everything kind of got started as far as professionally writing. But uh, yeah, that was it. wasn't until I was I was 39 years old when I uh, finally. You know, finally finished Mercury Falls, finished a novel. I had several abortive attempts before that, before because I was trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to write exactly, and uh, finally, finally settled on something. Hey, better late than never, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And so, obviously, a lot happened between uh, second grade and age thirty-nine, and uh, um, and <laughs> nope. Not, nothing. <laughs> no, well, no intellectual uh, or uh, no emotional development for me. Right. It was just like pretty much, yeah. So you just no, stay, sorry, stayed in the back of the classroom and just kept working on those stories. Yeah, I mean, I was a terrible student. You know, I mean, that's all. All I did in school was draw pictures of superheroes and uh, read a lot of sci-fi books and write a lot of stories. And my teachers were constantly trying to get me to do, you know, <laughs> math sure. and other things. Sure. Uh, and I just wasn't interested. And that's just that was that was basically my whole you know school career through through college and i ended up getting a i ended up graduating with, with a philosophy degree uh and then there this may surprise you but you can't actually find a job uh in philosophy there aren't you don't if you look at the like the classified ads they you don't, you don't see a lot of ads <laughs> for philosophers sure. so i ended up getting into um well, I, I ended up doing uh, tech support, computer support uh, for a software company, and from that I ended up going into software development um, and database stuff and, and worked in the Bay Area, uh, California, um, San Francisco Bay Area for a while, several different big you know, tech companies and stuff, and that was all right, um, you know, which is, is good because I couldn't um, – as far as any anything, I'm good at abstract like conceptual reasoning. But as far as like showing up at a particular place at a particular time and doing tasks in a certain way that you know a pre-specified way, prescribed way, I'm really bad at that. So like I was, I lucked into this job with software development where I could pretty much just build things, kind of you know this to do this sort of abstract uh, building of, of concepts and stuff. And then I moved from that into writing novels, which is just kind of a further step toward the abstract and, and just kind of building things in, you know, in, in, in the sky, building castles in the sky, building things in space, you know? Well, it sounds like it's a natural progression, you know, philosopher to software to novelist. Right. I mean, it's weird, right? Like it's like, it doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it kind of does in a way where it's, it's just sort of, you, you, you go from this sort of, you know, I mean, the, Philosophy, I tell people, is is actually pretty similar to the process of going through a philosophical text and looking for um, logical errors and fallacies. is actually very similar to the process of going through software and looking for bugs because you're looking for the logic problem. Um, you're looking for why this thing doesn't work, why it gives you this funky result that you didn't expect. Um, and, you know, where, where's what's wrong? Um, so it's actually a pretty logical um, 
you know, progression from philosophy to software development. And then software development is actually kind of a fun, it can be a kind of a fun creative uh, thing um, because of their way that you can solve different sorts of problems. And then, yeah, moving on from that to writing stories is, is, I mean, it's a little bit, there's, it's a much more freewheeling kind of thing because obviously, you know, you're, you're in charge of, of creating this whole world and characters and plot and everything. Um, but you still have to have, there has to be a logic behind it and there has to be, you know, an, an arc and your characters have to do things that make sense. And, um, you know, it's, it's in a lot of the ways, it's sort of a similar kind of creative process. So yeah, there is sort of a pro- progression there. It's weird, but it, it does kind of work. Well, yeah, I, I think that's, uh, um, you know, go, kind of going back to your story. That, so as I talk to a lot of authors, what, what I think I find actually kind of sad is that your story is very similar to many authors' stories is second grade, you know, you have that creative writing project, you love writing stories, and then somehow along the way, that kind of curiosity and fantasy and other world kind of gets sucked out of you. You know, it's like now you gotta get it you gotta get a real job, you gotta yeah. pay, pay the bills, you gotta you know, and, and obviously I think a lot of people say, Well, you can't be a writer. I mean there's no money in that, obviously. It's you know, very unstable and, and things like that. But um but but I just find it interesting that, that this is you know, why does that happen? You know, it's it's like, well, you got to be a lawyer, you got to be a doctor, you got to be, you know, got to put food on the table. You can't, you know, just tell stories. That's a waste of time. Um, but, yeah. uh, but you know, so so tell me a little bit, kind of, as you were, you know, going through, you know, high school and college and software and all of that. I mean, was there, were you writing stories on the side? Were you thinking about writing? Were you saying, you know, if I had the opportunity, I'd get out of here and just write forever? Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um... There was always sort of a disconnect between what was going on in my head and what was going on in the in kind of the real world and like how I was going to like I you know I had these sort of dreams of being a novelist someday but how I was going to like actually get a novel published or sell books or anything was always kind of like well I'm not going to worry about that um and so then like I said when I gra- I I ended up graduating from college with a philosophy degree uh and I was like holy shit uh <laughs> what do I do? What do I, you know, I, I should have like learned how to weld or something, something you know, mildly useful because I can't. I have no skills. I mean, f- philosophy is kind of the opposite of like a useful skill um, because it just ma- makes you into kind of a kind of a pedantic, you know, um, jerk because you're just like always like analyzing language and what do you mean by that? And it's like you just you're just kind of the guy that nobody wants to talk to. Um, which is really bad for like in the business world because you know I would end up writing these like like five page emails you know describing you know explaining why I was doing something when I got my first jobs and people were like what 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 is this that's like they would people would read like the first three uh, lines of an email and then they would see all this other stuff and be like what what are you doing and and I'm like I'm this is what I was taught to do you know you write twenty pages on something to explain. No, it's not. It's not a valuable business skill. It's it's the opposite. So you. Um, anyway, the, but but I don't. I don't remember. I have no idea what the question is anymore. So um, no, no. Just the, the the question was just you know along the way you know you obviously wanted to write, but I mean, were you writing stories on the side? Were you still oh, right, right. trying to kind of keep that fire going? Right. Yeah, like I said, there's a disconnect between like what's going on in my head and the real world, and you're you're viewing that in real time. Where I'm like <laughs> over here going off on some. Yeah, so so I I did continue to write, but um, I never and I I submitted a few stories once in a while to like sci-fi magazines back in the like you know '90s and stuff, but I didn't put a lot of effort into it because I I I really um, 
I don't know. I don't like rejection. <laughs> so I was like, I wanted to do this thing on my terms. Like I wanted to write because writing is fun and I wanted to have people read my stuff. Um, but I didn't want to have to go through some kind of middleman and be like, get, get convince somebody that this was a good story because I knew there were good stories and people would like to read them, but I just didn't want to go through this process. So I, so when self-publishing came along uh, and around the time that I was, you know, really getting serious about writing a novel, um, then I was like, this is great because I can go directly to these people, um, blogging and, and self-publishing so that, you know, you take, you remove the gatekeeper. Um, and not that I couldn't have gone through this gatekeeping process. I just didn't want to, I just have the thing about like not wanting to deal with the gatekeeper. So I was kind of doing my regular life and like, and, and like you, I was like, I was thinking, you know, I'm not going to be able to make a living writing. That was just kind of an assumption. Um, that was a given. So I, I, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to get into computers. I'm going to learn how to, you know, do something practical. And I and and software development was fine. It was it was relatively fun and creative and stuff. And then I continued to write um, on the side, but I never really gave a lot of thought into, um, you know, how I was going to like get these stories to people uh, because I just didn't want to deal with that part of it. And then self blogging became really big um and so i started blogging um and then self-publishing started to really take off with with um both print on demand um you know paperbacks and um the particularly the kindle um ebook platform took off right around the time that i had finished this um novel um and so that was great and so I, I went through this and and then um the book I, my goal originally with Mercury Falls was to sell a thousand copies. I wasn't trying to make a lot of money or anything. I just thought if a thousand people will read this thing, it's worth it to go through this process, you know, of, of writing it. Um, and I ended up selling like five thousand copies on my own. And then Amazon, like six months later, came to me and said, "Hey, we'd like to republish this thing." And then I've since then it sold like another fifty thousand copies. And so now I'm actually like, you know making money <laughs> and stuff writing, which I never expected to do. So it was kind of an unexpected thing where it was like I, I had more more success than really I ever expected to. So it was, you know, it's fantastic. So now the fact that I can do this, basically, you know, this is my job now. So it's, it's you know, it's wonderful. And it's never, it's something I never expected to actually happen. So. And would you consider yourself, because you have some of your books are, are, I guess, technically traditionally published. So you're kind of like a hybrid yes. and you, you, do indie and yeah. also do kind of traditional yeah. route. I'm all over the place uh, in a lot of ways, um, both as far as genre and style of writing, and also um, in terms of, of self publishing and traditional publishing. Um, it, I mean, it's like I said, the, my first book, Mercury Falls, I self published, and then like six months later, it got picked up by Amazon, which was you know just getting into publishing. So that's sort of legacy publish or, or traditional publishing, although Amazon isn't even really traditional. Um, but then, and then they published my next few books, a couple of sequels to Mercury Falls and a couple of other books that I did, Disenchanted and um, Starship Grifters. And then since then, I've done several self-published um, books. And then also, um, I, I also did a book uh, just last year with um, a Macmillan imprint, um, St. Martin's or Thomas Dunn, uh, Thomas Dunn, I guess technically is the is the imprint that it's under. Um, the a book is called that book was called The Big Sheep, uh, and then uh, the sequel to that is coming out in this uh, just this coming May, which is uh, The Last Iota. So I go kind of back and forth, just depending on a lot of things, depending on whether 
you know whether whether a publisher is interested in the book. Sometimes my stuff is kind of far out there, and so it's like, like I have this book that I self-published probably what four or five years ago now called Schrodinger's Gat, which is just this weird. Uh, I call it a, a, a quantum physics noir thriller. Um, so it's it it it. it, it, it Moments of like philosophy and quantum physics, quantum mechanics, uh, with like this thriller kind of suspense plot, and it's like my pub- I sent it to to my publisher at the time, and they were just like, "This is really neat, but we don't know what the hell this is." <laughs> so I did a Kickstarter and self-published it, and it's done fine. It's done really well, but the you know the publisher didn't. It just it's not that it was a bad book. It was just like they just looked at it and went, "This this doesn't fit anywhere. We don't know what to do with this." Um, so yeah, so it just depends on the book. Some books are a good fit for a publisher. Some books are not. Um, some publishers like some, certain types of books and others, you know, they, so it just depends on what kind of deal I'm able to get uh, if a publisher is interested or if I'm, I think I'm better off on my own, you know. So, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. Well, I think it's, it's smart. I mean, I think sometimes you have to, each project kind of has its own, you know, does it fit, does it not? I mean, it seems like more traditional publishers, you know, it's got to be very clear what the genre is, what the, you know, because they got to sell it. I mean, that's the... Yeah, that's the main thing, is yeah. that with a, with a traditional publisher, they, they want to know what it is, and they want to be able to easily explain to people um, what it is, you know, which which makes sense, you know, I mean, yeah, because they're, they're uh, you know, they, they, they want to book, a, they want a bucket to put this thing into, where they can say, this is this, it's like this, it's like this kind of book, it's, you know... Um, but then every once in a while, some some book will come out of nowhere, you know, that's completely different from everything else, and then it you know blows everything up too. So, and we've had had a lot of examples of that with um, you know with self publishing self published books that just come from out of nowhere because somebody self published the book either because they couldn't interest a publisher or because um, they decided not to go with a publisher and just decided they could do better on their own. Um, and so you know. Traditional publishing is kind of in this constant state of trying to sort of catch up and 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 figure out what's going to sell, and it's a tough position to be in. So, I, yeah, you can understand why they're they're picky about things, but uh, it's great to have the option of going out on on your own if you can't fit into one of their nice little little categories. Sure. So be, earlier you said you know you're you're one that doesn't like to you know, listen to other people or, you know, set, set schedules and all that. How's, yes. it, how's it been, you know, working with a more traditional type publisher as opposed to kind of creating your own stuff, putting your own stuff out there? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's actually been um, pretty, pretty good. I mean, I haven't had any real, really bad experiences with, I've, I've had worked with two different publishers now, um, both, uh, the, the Amazon uh, imprints and and uh, the Macmillan imprints, uh, Thomas Dunn, and in both cases, it's been pretty good working with them. It's just um, it's just the, the more more the initial of you know process of of pitching an idea. Um, they if it's not something that if they don't know what to do with it, they'll they'll pass. But once they get on board with an idea, usually a publisher is pretty good about you know they they want to make the project work um, and they're they're pretty good about um, all the, the editors that I've had have been very good about like, you know, not, not wanting to override me on, on editorial decisions. Like just for example, there was a, there was a, my book, uh, Starship Drifters, which came out in 2014 with on uh, Amazon um, imprint 47 North, which is their sci-fi imprint. I had this scene in there where um, it's kind of this horrific and, and simultaneously very funny, I think, scene where the, where there's the, they're doing this. Uh, these characters are escaping from this prison, 
and there are these guards that are trying to that are chasing them and the guards are sort of falling through this hole in this in the ceiling coming after them and then they they fall and then like immediately as they hit the ground the main character shoots them and kills them and then like another one will come over after and he just he, and he keeps doing this just and and eventually the, the characters who are escaping from the prison are saying well you know can't we just go we don't really need to keep shooting these guys they're just going to keep falling out of the ceiling this is never going to stop uh, and and then but the, the main character insists that this has to be done that this is you know he's they're going to do this right and as long as these guys keep falling out of the ceiling he's going to keep shooting them um and my the editor of that book was was very much like you know i don't i don't know if we need this this scene and i thought and and it because it is it's kind of a horrific terrible scene because like this is the protagonist of the book who's like insisting on murdering these guys but i just thought it was it struck me as so funny that i said no this is this is my favorite scene in the book um we have to leave this one in because the kid because honestly the main character of this book Starship Griffiths is kind of a terrible person. He's <laughs> he's not a good guy, um, but he's just you know he's just sort of this uh, makes these decisions that are just like r- ridiculous. And so it's like it was true to the theme of the the idea of the book. And so the editor was like, okay, that's fine. you know it's it's your decision. So they, usually the unless there's something that's I don't know. I mean, I haven't had anything where I've been really overruled by an editor where they said, no, this, we have to do this um, as far as the content of the book. So it's, it's, it's usually a pretty, you know, it's, it's not, I don't, I'm not opposed to traditional publishing at all. It's just, um, uh, there, there's that initial kind of gatekeeping role that I, that I dislike, but once you get in the door, it's, it's fine. Yeah. You know, I've heard good, really good things. Some authors I've talked to like Amazon imprints has been a really good experience um, that it almost doesn't feel like, you know, traditional, you know, they're, they're pretty on the ball and, and how, yeah, and how, I don't, helpful. I don't know or, how much, um, I mean, how much this, the, I mean, I think a lot of this, I suspect that there's been a fair amount of pressure because of Amazon, because of, because of the way that they've treated their authors really well. There's been par- pressure on other uh, publishers to kind of step up and say, okay, you need to treat your authors a little bit more respect. Um, and I know that, uh, um, that, you know, that, that royalties have, have increased and then, and like the, the periods that they're, that they're paying the royalties have decreased so that they're paying royalties more often. And they've made a lot of changes. There've been a lot of changes in traditional publishing that probably wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the, for the, uh, the pressure that was put on, you know, Amazon, people think is Amazon is kind of a, you know, this sort of this big, bad, evil empire, but it's really been helpful. Even, even to non-Amazon authors, it's been helpful in a lot of ways because there have been changes in the industry that have been made because because Amazon put pressure on on these uh, legacy publishers and said, "Look, you know, if you want to attract authors, you need to treat them a little bit a little bit better." So, so yeah, I, I, overall, I've been have I've had pretty good experiences both with Amazon and uh, you know non Amazon publishers. So, is it is it hard? Uh, you know, traditional it can take months, even years, sometimes for a book to come out. Is that is that hard once you kind of? <laughs> finish this, this thing yeah that's that's one of the big downsides yeah. is is that it's it's very slow um and i mean i think it was about a year and a half between like the time i finished the big sheep and the, the time that it actually came out um and was av- available for people to buy and so it's weird because it's like i have this this book that i finish and i'm done with it and i want to go tell people about it and, and then but you know it's like nothing really happens for a year and they're they're working on editing and you know and there's i don't know what they're all doing there's gnomes or dwarves or something you know working away on the on the book doing something to get the book to honestly i don't know why it takes a year year and a half uh because like when i self-publish a book i finish the book i 
immediately send it to like several beta readers. They give me feedback on it and tell me about you know typos and missing words and stuff. I make some f- tweaks to it. I may go through one more round of revisions with with a couple of people. I may or may not have an editor who goes over it. You know, and that whole process may take you know a couple of months. And then at the same time, I'm working on a cover or or commissioning a cover to be uh, designed. And so that by the time from the time I finish the book. You know, the finish the rough draft of the book to the time that the book is available is at most, you know, three months. And with a traditional publisher, it's like, yeah, easily a year, maybe a year and a half, two years. Um, and that's, yeah, that can be, that wait is is a long time. The nice thing is that sometimes, if you're lucky, they'll give you an advance. So you actually get paid before this. So it makes the waiting a little bit easier. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so let's segue then into your, a little bit of your process. I, I don't know if I read on your blog or I forget where uh, you, you talked a little bit about how um, you've kind of done outlining, kind of not, um, kind of once you go through a draft, you don't do a whole lot after that. I mean, as far as revisions, of course, but mm-hmm. uh, but you don't do like 29 different drafts. So talk a little bit about just kind of your process, how it is now, how it's kind of evolved. I mean, you started saying, you know, hey, I, I didn't even know how to write a novel. I just did it. So talk a little about kind of your, your evolution a little bit. Yeah, so so Mercury Falls um, took me three years off and on to write because I was just basically just writing chapters and then half the time I would just throw it away and, and, and like start over, you know, and I, would, I sort of gradually made progress. Um, but it was a very, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know how much, I probably threw away twice as much stuff as, as what ended up actually in the book or more, um, and went through a lot of revisions and because I just was so uncertain of, of like whether it even worked as a novel and I had to like put it away for, um, a couple of months at a time, you know, so that I would kind of forget about it and then come back and then so that I would come to it fresh. Um, now I have a much better sense, I think of like, of, uh, of, of how to do like a narrative arc and plotting and that type of stuff. So I don't have to set the book aside for months at a time I, I i that's a little bit more ingrained in me but it took a few novels to do that um uh whether the books are better i don't <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i've gotten you know uh, some, some sometimes they're better sometimes they're worse um i don't know if my overall quality has has changed that much but it's definitely gotten the process has gotten faster because I can. I don't have to go through. I, I, go, I go through fewer dead ends. I guess I, I end up in fewer dead ends, blind alleys, um, because I have a better sense of what I'm doing um, up front. And and yeah, what I usually do these days is I, I have a mull an idea over um, for a few days or a couple of weeks. Um, and, and I'll just kind of, ha- I'll, I'll, I'll jot a few notes down and then I'll, I'll go read something, um, usually like a nonfiction thing that somehow relates to the, the book. Like right now I have this idea for another sort of book based on, uh, it has to do with like quantum physics stuff. So I've been reading books about like consciousness and time and quantum physics and stuff. So I'll read a little bit and then I'll come back and then I'll, you know, pick a few notes and I'll write down some ideas. And then after a few weeks, I'll put down uh, come up with an actual um, outline and it's glorifying it a bit to call it an outline because it's really just bullet points um, it's usually like two or three pages of bullet points and it's just plot points that I think the story needs to hit and then just th- these are these are things that need to happen to get me to the climax and so once I have that all this these this kind of rough outline then I'll start writing 
and I'll just kind of plow through. And um, I write pretty fast and pretty cleanly. I don't end up doing a lot of revisions. I just, you know, what I write usually ends up to being pretty close to what is in the final book. Sometimes I'll still go down. I'll realize that I'm, I've gone down a blind alley. That this plot just isn't working, and then I gotta delete three chapters, which is which is painful. But it has, you know, sometimes you just realize you have to, you know, you're you've you've gone the wrong direction, um, and it's just not working. But most of the time, I can I can keep pushing forward and just kind of get through to the end of this book. And almost all the time, my out, I I I, I always say that um, the uh, the plotting version of me, the outlining version of me, could sue the the final version of me that that wrote the final book, you know, for like intellectual property uh, theft and lose, because the, the the end result is usually ha- it looks nothing like the the original outline. The outline is necessary as like a map for what you're doing, but the final book, if you look, if you compare it to the outline, you would you wouldn't even know that it's other than some superficial similarities you wouldn't even know it's the same thing so somehow in this process i come up with like better i'm like oh what would be better than it hitting this point as if it did this and what what a lot of times what will happen is that multiple characters will end up being a single character so you have you have different characters that your your protagonist will meet throughout the throughout the the uh, novel and then you realize later on oh what if these two people are really the same person and then that gets kind of so so things get sort of um, more coherent and more unified as as you write. So that what you start with as kind of a messy um, kind of bullet point outline ends up seeming <laughs> seeming like it was really well thought out when you, when most of the time you, it's just sort of your brain um, kind of impl- Im, uh, sort of. Uh, uh, imposing this order on the on the outline after the fact, um, and it's and it's in the end it's sort of an kind of an alchemy magical kind of thing where it just sort of you end up with this book and you're like I don't know how the hell that happened but it's pretty you know usually I'm pretty happy with the result so no I think that's that's important for those listening because I I think when people think outlining they think you know that's just not creative it's you know we're stuck to this you know, idea and we can't stray from it. But I I know in my own writing too, when I've written things down, even just like little bullet points, it's, I'm nowhere near, you know, because I think your first ideas usually aren't your best ideas. It's usually as they kind of solidify in your head and as the story goes. And And you have to give yourself, as they say, you have to give yourself um, permission to write crap and your outline just has to be, uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be great, you know, but it's like, if you've got a few good ideas in that outline, I find that, if you just force yourself to start writing to that outline, you're, you come up with, yeah, you, in the process, you come up with better ideas um, than what you had originally. Um, and, it's, and it's kind of amazing because it's, I mean, it's sort of a, a, a magical thing because you don't know where these ideas come from. But it just seems like uh, even if your outline, like if you look at this outline and you go, eh, that doesn't really look like much. You'd be surprised at how often if you just force yourself to start writing that thing that – the magic starts to happen. Things just start to happen that are like, Oh, that's neat. That's an interesting twist. Or what if, uh, what if, you know, what if he doesn't know about this part that, you know, and finds out about that later and just all this kind of stuff. Um, that's just sort of like the magic of, of, of 
suspense and character development and plotting that just kind of happens as like, oh, this is kind of a neat thing. And it, it, there's there's no way you can plot all this stuff. I mean, there are some people, I should say, I, apparently <laughs> there are, are authors who do this, who like plot everything out in advance. I can't imagine how you do it because right. to me it's it's just the magic is in in the writing itself. Right. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with it was Lee Child and he was talking about he knew a guy who said he always knows the final line and final scene in the book and that's where he starts and Lee Child just basically said that's stupid. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, he just said, you know, what fun is it to write if you already know the ending exactly how it's going to happen and yeah, you yeah. Know, he says that that kind of takes out the joy of writing. You know, um, I mean. Well, you gotta, I- yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I, I was going to say that I, sometimes I do have a lot of times I do have the final line or the fi- or the ending of the book plotted out, and I think it's pretty good. And and then it almost never ends up being landing on that point right. because I figure out something better in the process where it makes it's, it works so much better that I that I think to myself, why did I have that stupid idea for the ending? <laughs> it was like right. that was that would have been terrible, you know. <laughs> So it, uh, yeah, it's just it's. But you you find out in the process. So that's like, you know, people who are afraid to start writing because they're writing crap. It's like, well, you're gonna write crap. You're gonna write some crap, and you're gonna but just for, just force yourself to write the crap. And a lot of times, what I find is also if you come back to that what you think is crap the next day and read it over, you'd be amazed at how often that. While you're writing it, you think this is crap. This is crap. This is crap. And then you come back to it the next day, and you're like, "Huh, that's not bad," you know. Uh-huh. And you maybe with, it needs a few tweaks or whatever. Maybe it's not that you know clean, and it, it needs a little more descriptive language or something. But a lot of times, you're you're, I mean, as you're writing, you just have to f- turn off that critic for a little bit and make yourself do it. And you just it, a lot of times, I'm just amazed at, at yeah what happens and during the process. Yeah, there's a it's an interesting conversation because you know I've listened to or read some of like Dean Wesley Smith stuff. If you ever read him at all, but he uh, he's he's big on the the critical brain and the creative brain, and mm-hmm. it's kind of the subconscious. He says you know the the subconscious is really where the creativity comes, and we don't really know where it comes from, um, right? But we got to trust it. Like it's it's there. Yep. Like you, yep. You're always amazed. Like you're saying, it's not magic. It's like where what where did that idea come from? Um, and and I think that's where writers get stuck is they they you know where those good ideas come from and what happens here and that subconscious and kind of creative side of our brains is just amazing how it just pumps out these ideas you're just like what 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 in the world <laughs> you know how did that happen you know yeah and and every time that I write I sit down to write a novel I'm convinced that I've forgotten how to do it uh-huh. that there's like no that that's like well this is this is it it's just <laughs> not good, happening it's a good run <laughs> it's just yeah it's like I'm, I'm done that's it. And then, but the, you know, it's like every time for like the, you know, now I'm on like the 15th one now or something. And it's like, and I still have that, you know, and, and I can't even imagine now going back to when I had never done this before. And I was convinced that I didn't know what I was doing. I don't even know why I continued to keep going, you know, because it's like, you have that critical part that says, you don't know what you're doing. This isn't working. Um, this is, you're writing crap. This is, this is pointless. Um, but you just, if you ignore that thing long enough and just, just follow your instinct to just p- put something down on paper and trust that, yes, yeah, magic's going to happen, you know, I mean, in varying degrees, it's not always fantastic, but I mean, you know, you're, you're, if you, if you give it, if you prod it enough, you're, you're, yeah, your creative mind will jump in and with some, some things and, and surprise you. So you just have to, like you said, you have to trust it. 
Yeah, it's that that blank page, and you're just like, I, the ideas are gone. I know they're all gone. There, I had yep. I had ten of them. I used them all. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm just sitting here alone. It's like that. There's an old. Uh, there's a, a Saturday Night Live sketch from years and years ago where I think it's John Lovitz as Stephen King where he's uh, he's like doing a live interview and Stephen King is like typing away like working on a book while he's being interviewed and then he's just like you know like just typing 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 and like answering questions and stuff and then like he just stops and he's like nope that's it I'm done and I'm blocked I can't write anymore and then for you know he just stops for like 20 seconds and then he's like well no I'm good and then he just starts he just starts writing again and it's like just for like a few seconds there he was like nope I'm done can't right. do it I'm blocked I'm, I'm you know my career's over right. and then nope I mean that's the way it is you know it's like you always feel like that you always feel like you could at any point you could just stop and be like nope that's not sure. working sure yeah, and I think there's so many things to kind of get unstuck. I mean, you go for a walk, you read something, you, you know, just stop, you know, take a nap. You know, there's, there's ways to kind of, you know, when you hit that wall for whatever reason, um, you know, ideas are everywhere. And, you know, just have to kind of slow down sometimes. Um, well, yep. let me let me ask you a couple other questions that um, I, I find interesting with your kind of writing career and journey is – um, you write a lot of sci-fi. Um, that's obviously a big influence. You mentioned that earlier as a kid, yep. reading a lot of sci-fi. But you, you write with a lot of humor too, and um, and you kind of joke about that. Like it's probably not a good idea if I want to sell more books. But um, but I I've, I really enjoyed uh, Star Grifters and and uh, Mercury Falls and the humor that you have in it because I think there's a lot of sci-fi out there, obviously, but a lot of it's just pretty straight, straight laced, kind of boring. Uh, but I, I appreciate the way you you kind of bringing the humor, but talk a little bit about kind of how did, how did your, how do your books kind of come out that way as opposed to other ways or, you know, um, where, is that just you or is that, um, you know, something you're trying to do or just talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a combination of things. I mean, originally one of the reasons it took me so long to write my first novel was I kept trying to write, uh, like a serious sci-fi novel and I kept, um, you know, making kind of a joke out of it. Like my characters wouldn't behave. They wouldn't do what I wanted them to do. Um, and I couldn't, you know, and I came up with, come up with these ideas that I, that I was like, no, oh, I can't do that because that's too silly. That's too ridiculous. Uh, and then I started writing this, um, this blog, I had this blog for several years called mattress police where I just wrote little, uh, just bizarre little humorous pieces that were anywhere from just like kind of, uh, satirical, like, uh, political satire kind of stuff to like just really bizarre kind of uh, flash fiction kind of things. Um, and I got a, picked up kind of a following on that. And then I realized I, I have sort of a, um, you know, a, a sort of a skill that not everybody has, which is to, you know, to make people laugh. Um, and I thought, well, so when I started writing a novel, I was like, well, maybe, maybe the trick is that if I, I can actually use that, you know, and then I can cover up the fact that I, <laughs> that I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. Because if I, if like, if I, so I'm writing this book, I had this idea for this, not this, this, this renegade angel called Mercury for Mercury Falls. And it was, this, the idea was sort of semi-serious at first about how this angel was supposed to be, you know, helping out with the apocalypse. Um, but, but he was kind of, um, rebelling and all this stuff and i thought it would be funny uh or it would work better if if i just made this this whole thing into a joke and just made a joke of like everything that's happening 
because then people won't realize that I don't really know how to do characterization. <laughs> I don't really know how to do. I don't know how to plot a book. I don't know how to make a, a you know a character arc. All I really know how to do is is just do like one-liners and make people laugh and stuff. And I thought if I can at least make people laugh, you know, if I can get them laughing enough that maybe they'll get to the end of this book and realize that they haven't read anything that that makes any sense or you know and they'll and and I ended up did I, you know I did. And uh, you know the book b- does basically make sense to some degree. I mean, I, I corralled it into sort of a you know a, a, a coherent plot with you know, uh, but it was yeah, originally yeah it was to kind of carry uh, the fact that or to cover up the fact that I I thought that I didn't know what I was doing as a writer, um, and since then I've realized I've gotten a little better as a writer, and so I don't need to c- to cover as much I think. So I've done a little bit more serious stuff. But I've also gone the other direction, like with Starship Grifters, where I said, you know what, I'm just going to have, I'm going to make this book as just ridiculous as and crazy as I possibly can. So Starship Grifters was was like, uh, in like Mercury Falls is like has has elements of seriousness of like of drama and stuff. But Starship Grifters, I said, I'm going to make this just like this character is so ridiculous. And just so, just like any any situation that he's in, I'm going to think of like the most bizarre, um, like uh, death-defying or crazy or whatever uh, um, idea that he can possibly do, and he's going to do that thing. Um, so, I, so now it's like I, I can be a little bit more um, selective about it, where I can be like I can go full on like humor with Starship, something with Starship Grifters, or kind of. In between, where it's like uh, Mercury Falls, the Mercury series, that where it's like there's a lot of humor, but there's an actual plot and stuff too. And then I've done more serious stuff. Like I have a book called City of Sand, um, which is a very kind of sort of twi- mind bendy, twisty uh, sci fi suspense novel, which has very little humor in it. Um, because now I feel like I've kind of figured out how to write a novel now, and so I so now the now the humor is more like something that I can do or not do as I as I see fit, depending on the story, which is, you know, it's it's nice. Well, yeah, and, and I think you know if people read your work, like Mercury Falls, for example, you know there there are some with the humor. I think it just lightens the actual serious subjects. I mean, there are some funny right. funny part. I mean, the I don't know her name, but the reporter who's you know just her job is to go around and. You know, report on cults and things, right? But you know, if if we actually think about cults, I mean, they are pretty goofy. I mean, and you know, uh, I mean, the ones I can think of the last twenty years, I mean, you know, chasing stars and you know different things. Um, that you know, we should laugh about it. We should go, well, that's it is kind of goofy, you know. Uh-huh. Well, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's just like naturally, as far as just the uh the, the one of the reasons one of the things that 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 book came out of was there's this guy who is actually uh, you probably probably familiar with Harold Camping who is mm-hmm. the uh oh, the yeah. guy who kept kept predicting the apocalypse yep. uh and he actually came out of my the Christian reformed um tradition which is my religious background um went to to Calvin College here in Grand Rapids uh and he, he was this guy who was like he he was kind of a kind of a standard sort of televangelist kind of conservative guy. And then he kind of went crazy and started predicting the apocalypse all the time. Um, and there was an actual quote of him saying that his wife was suggesting that they get new linoleum in their kitchen. And he said, well, the world's going to end in uh, like this fall. So why don't we put it off until then? Cause I'm pretty sure the world's going to end. So why spend the money on it? And I thought that was such an insane 
just just a combination of just like the most mundane thing that you can imagine replacing the linoleum in your kitchen with like the the apocalypse and he was like literally making this this decision and um i thought that's fantastic it's just like i so I, that that ends up being like a major plot point in in mercury falls the idea of replacing your linoleum before the <laughs> before the apocalypse and but it, it's but it's that's i mean that's reality that was a real thing that happened and it was so bizarre that that how do you how do you even incorporate that into a book without making it you know bizarre and humorous and it's but that's that's real life right. <laughs> that's these people actually exist right. so well i think it's i think I, I, sci-fi for me i think the funnier the better i mean i like john scalzi and some of these guys that you know almost make light of the, uh, some people just get too serious about sci-fi you know and and you know we're going to do this we're going to do that and you know, I love, you know, I love like space balls and, you know, movies yeah. like that, that, that kind of, you know, it's kind of tongue in cheek. I mean, it's very tongue in cheek, but, but very like, really like, let's not take this too seriously. I mean, right. <laughs> yeah. And that was the idea of, of Starship Grifters where I wanted to take like all these kind of sci-fi tropes and, and, and mostly Star Wars um, and just kind of take all these ideas of like the, you know, the, the evil empire and the, the, you know, the rebellion and everything and then take, and take all these kind of standard, standard heroic characters and then kind of screw with everything a little bit to make it a little bit off. Um, and yeah, that's just a lot of fun because as somebody who's read a lot of these books, you know, grew up on this stuff and, you know, it was, it was very serious, you know, like when I was, when I was growing up, like star Wars was like a big deal, you know, and, and, uh, and, and then looking back on it, it's like, you know, like the whole, you know, the, all this stuff, the politics of the empire, the more you think about it, it's like, that didn't make any sense at all. you know. <laughs> so it's like, it's not that big a deal. You know, just, like, yeah. even when you watch the movies now, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It's not as intense as I remember it being. Right. It was you like, a, but it was like when, you know, because I was seven when the original Star Wars came out and it was like a religious experience to, oh, to yeah. kids my age. I mean, it was like, you, there was nothing to compare it to. Like, it's just, it was like, we had the, we had the Star Wars cards and we had the, you know, the, the action figures and the games and the, you know, and everything and everything, you know, like everything was Star Wars. That was like, we were just like obsessed with Star Wars. And then you, you look at it back, you know, look back on that. I look back on it very fondly, you know, but at the same time, it's just like, well, that was a, it was a kind of a ridiculous uh, thing to be like, to, you know, to be so obsessed with. And there were so many things about it that just like, like the thing about how like everybody can understand the droids when they talk or like, like, like R2-D2, but everybody understands him, but he can't speak apparently. And, and like, like, you know, right. and it's, it's it's like why you know why why didn't they, why couldn't they make him uh, make it so that he could actually talk? It's like you know just weird stuff like that right. um, that doesn't occur to you at the time, and then right. later on you're like looking back at stuff and you're like, huh, there's a lot of weird stuff that didn't make any sense in those movies. So right. yeah, my my kids are getting older, and so we watch like New Hope, and um, it, it's funny to watch you know the New Hope with the little you know, fade screen in and out. I mean, I haven't seen a movie with that in, you know, 30 years. I mean, it's just, it doesn't hold up the greatest. I mean, I think some of the other ones hold up a little better. Um, but you know, it's just funny. Like Luke Skywalker, like such bad acting. Good night. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and yet we idolize it. We're just like, this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, there nothing will compare. You know, yep. and it's just, it's just funny. 
But. Yeah, just just hit at the right time and the right you know, just the right cultural uh, moment that everything you know, yeah, it just and it just changed the lives. I mean, you know, that's 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 one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, because it was like I was so enthralled with that, and that you know, and that got me into science fiction, you know, reading Heinlein and Asimov and Harry Harrison and all these guys, and so now I'm you know, and now that's what I what I do because it was just you know, such a big part of my of my childhood and growing up, you know. Sure. Well, how, how so? Just kind of as we kind of wind down here, I want to keep it to an hour and, and be um, sensitive to your time too. Is how do you kind of de- determine? Um, and maybe this might be answered for you, depending on your your uh, traditional situation. But how do you determine kind of your next book or your next idea or the thing that you go? I got to. I want to give time to this or uh, any. You know, do you have any magic? You know, unicorn you rub or anything that kind of tells you what to do. Uh, no. And, you know, I'm like, as far as like a, from a business standpoint, I'm like the worst person to ask because what I do is I just, I ha- I'll have an idea that's for something that may be completely unrelated to anything else that I do. Uh, and then I just uh, like Schrodinger's Gat was like, was, it's just this bizarre, um, mashup of, of quantum physics and like a noir thriller book and stuff. And I just thought it was such a neat idea. Um, that even though it's nothing like any of my other books, I went ahead and did it. Um, and I don't know, I just get seized with these, with these ideas. Um, and sometimes it takes a while for it to kind of percolate and to, to go from like sort of this kind of conceptual idea, uh, sort of a very abstract notion to like a, a firm, uh, idea. Um, but yeah, I just I do, I mean I just do what's fun. Honestly, I do I I do what what feels like it would be fun for me to do uh, at the time and and uh so like I have a terrible this is one of the reasons why I, my my uh, website is badnovelist.com because I I don't stick with a brand. I don't stick with a particular type of writing or particular type of book. I just go I'm going to write like a satirical fantasy novel now, uh, or I'm going to write, uh, you know, this madcap zany, um, sort of, uh, yeah, space balls like, um, uh, science fiction parody, which is Starship Drifters or, um, uh, the last one that, that I wrote, I had this book that's, that's sort of a mashup of do androids dream of electric sheep, um, and blade runner and, um, the big sleep, which, which is called the big sheep, obviously. So, uh, and, and it was just just an idea that I had that I thought would just be so kind of – it's sort of funny, but it's it's sort of serious. And it's kind of in, in that in-between realm where it has like this sort of weird um, ironic parts and satirical parts, but it's mostly done pretty straight. But I just thought it was such a neat idea of like this you know this mashup of, of, of genres and this sort of new, near future kind of Blade Runner-esque um, Los Angeles – um, so I just do, you know, I don't know. I can never tell where these ideas are going to come from, but I just do what I, what seems like it's going to be fun to me. And, um, I usually have a lot of fun writing and, uh, sometimes they sell <laughs> and sometimes they don't, but I just do what, you know, what feels right to me. Cause I figure if I'm going to be, you know, this, this is, I, I went from software development into this for a reason, which is that, you know, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell my stories and what was interesting to me and what I was interested in. And so that's what I do, you know? So it's just, 
there's no predicting it or controlling it. And it would be business from a business standpoint, it would be much better if I just stuck with a genre and said, okay, now I'm going to write the next one in this series or another book let's, that's like this one and try to try to uh, you know uh, capitalize on this particular market that I was able to you know that I was able to, able to reach with this book. But I don't. I just write what's something that's fun. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I think that's actually really good advice. I think, you know, people say sometimes the reason we get stuck or we don't write the books is because it, it's not fun. Like it's, it's too much work yeah. and you go, well, Hey, if that's not fun, then write something that's fun. Write what you want. Yeah. Write, you know? Yeah. I mean, why even do it? You know, if it's not fun, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess I, I, there are people who are like who take writing very seriously and feel like they have something to say that needs to be said, and it's it's hard work and stuff. And I respect that. But for me, honestly, I just feel like um, I got into this business because it was fun. Because I like to I like to to write. I like to tell stories, and I like to read this kind of stories. And so I want to try to you know uh, bring people that same kind of joy that I had when I was reading, you know, the stainless steel rat or Douglas Adams or whatever in, in, in high school or junior high, um, you know, just cause it's fun. Cause fun is, you know, it's, it's a worthwhile thing, <laughs> you know, making people laugh, making people, um, get, getting people excited and, and interested. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's important. Yep. I think I storytelling. Agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah, we're not digging ditches, right? Uh, yeah, we're not curing cancer. <laughs> right, <laughs> but, right, exactly. You know, right. Trying to give people a few hours of fun and entertainment. Yeah, uh, if you can do that as a writer. You know, that's that's fantastic. That's that's more than you know what most most writers can do. I think. So right. That's... Right. Um, so as we as we close up, I always want to ask this question: Is what kind of advice, counsel, wisdom? from all your experiences, ups and downs, would you give to kind of aspiring writers, people that want to kind of get started, or maybe they've written that one book and they just kind of stuck, you know, it took you three years to write your first one, but you know, our whole, whole podcast is about being prolific. We really think that, you know, writing today, you got, you know, you can't just sit on one. You just got to keep telling your story and keep getting, getting work out there, you know, however good it is. But, uh, but what would be some advice you'd give to kind of listening authors? Um, I guess I would say to, yeah, I mean, to, to, to the main thing is that, once you have an idea, I mean, it's okay to spend a little bit, spend some time, you know, charting things out, um, coming up with an outline, whatever, brainstorming. But once you have an idea for a, a novel, just stick with it. You know, try to write 500 words a day or 1,000 words a day or whatever you can manage. Um, 1,000 might be a lot if you're working full-time or whatever. But if, if you can do 500 words a day, you know, then, then in – less than a year, probably, depending on the length of your novel, you're going to have the novel written. Now, it, it may be a terrible novel. You may hate it, but you'll, you'll learn a lot in that process. And you'll learn a lot more going through that whole process, start to finish, than you will, than you will by starting 10 different novels. Because you'll get really good at the first chapter, <laughs> of writing the first chapter of a novel, but that's not, that's not the process. You, know? you want to go through this whole thing. And, and even if you, if you have to write a terrible novel to get through that once, that's fine. You know, you, nobody has to see this thing and then write another one. That's, that's really good. If you want, um, you know, keep going. And it, so, yeah, just give yourself permission to do some, some, some brainstorming, some outlining, whatever. But then once you get into it, set yourself a goal of, you know, it could be 250 words a day, 200 words a day. Um, and eventually you'll get there if you just force yourself to do it. Well, I think that's great advice. I just was talking to someone the other day and doing an interview and he, he was saying how, 
he or she, I forget who, but um, was saying, you know, something about finishing that first book that kind of brings down this invisible wall that yeah. I can do it. And it, and it may right. not be seen by anybody, but like you said, it's better than starting 20 different books and, you know, a chapter here and there. Because, you know, the first 10,000 words, you're all pumped and you're excited and then you kind of hit this this wall of like, oh, this is terrible and I don't know what to do now. Yeah. Uh, but it's something- and just forcing yourself to like – be like, it's okay that this is crap. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a really valuable thing because it's like once you give yourself permission to write crap, then then you just keep going, and then you realize later on that that it's not as bad as the as you think. Right. <laughs> Most of the time, it's not. It's not. it's yeah. it's pretty. It's usually usually your your critical mind is 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 overdoing it there, yeah. trying to get you to stop, and it's there's yeah. no point. Very true. Very true. Well, tell us uh, tell us what you're working on, and also where uh, people can find you and your work and get in touch with you. Okay, so as we've covered, my my website is badnovelist.com, uh, and you can find me on from links to Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else from there, email and stuff. Uh, the best place to find my books is Amazon um, because a lot of my books are published by Amazon, and so they, they you won't find them usually in bookstores, but they're all on Kindle, and you can get them on all in paperback. Uh, what I'm working on right now is, uh, uh, what am I working on? I just finished, um, I robot, A Y E robot as in like, I robot, um, because it's about pirates. Uh, and it's a, it's a sequel to, it's about space pirates and it's a sequel to Starship Grifters. Um, so that will be coming out on March 7th. So you can buy Starship Grifters now and then get I robot on March 7th. And then in May, the sequel to The Big Sheep is coming out, which is called The Last Iota. And that's actually coming out in hardcover because that's a uh, uh, Thomas Dunn Macmillan book. So you, get, you, can, you can pick up Starship Grifters and The Big Sheep now, and then you, in a couple of weeks you can get the sequels to both of them. Great. Great. Yeah, I think by the time people hear it, uh, iRobot will probably be ready to go. So Excellent. Yes, I but and as uh, yeah, Amazon on Kindle will be the best place to get that. Very cool. Well, hey Robert, it's been such a pleasure to have you on and hear your story and meet you and uh, and I've been loving your books and keep writing, keep cranking them out. Uh, Go check out his books; Um, you'll love them. They're fun, they're exciting, and all over the place. So, um, and uh, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. All right, bye. Thanks for stopping by the Prolific Writer Podcast. Please leave a review on iTunes so we can help more writers share their stories with the world. And head over to rockhousepublishing.com for books, resources and other writing and publishing tips. See you next time.